Have you ever dropped the ball when someone else was depending on you? Like maybe you practiced that foul shot a thousand times and you hit it 999, but this is the time when the clock's running out and the game is tied and you miss. I may or may not be speaking from personal experience, just saying. But when others have depended upon you, when you've put yourself in a situation where they need to or when they just expect to or they can or they're looking to you to follow through, looking to you to make something happen and you just mess up. And I'm, I'm not just talking about making mistakes. We, we talked about that last week, right? This kind of internal battle that we have with ourselves that we, we, we trip over our own two feet. We mess up. We don't allow Jesus to lead us and we don't allow him to teach us sometimes individually. This week, I'm talking about those kinds of, of failures. And I choose that word on purpose. I hate to even say the word because nobody wants to believe we're a failure or that we have failed. Ugh, hate that word. But those kinds of failures that have such a massive impact on others around us that I'm sorry just isn't good enough, right? Where you really feel like you've let somebody down. And I talked about the basketball thing, but... You know, the truth is that can happen in even greater and deeper and far more important levels. Maybe maybe it's a moral failure where you've really messed up and violated the trust of someone closest to you. Where you have cheated on your spouse. Where you have lied to someone to cover your backside or prevent them from knowing something. And, and, and you have violated their expectations. You violated a commitment that you have made to them that you hope and believe they have made to you in return. Maybe you did something, you failed in, by, by doing something you said you would never do. You would never do that. I will never steal ever under any circumstances and maybe you found yourself in a position where it was steal or starve. And so you've made a choice, right? It's the kind of choice that you, you look back on, whether that be that or another example that you look back on and you think, I can't believe I did that. I, w I didn't think I would ever do that. And yet you find yourself doing that. Maybe it's something you've seen other people do and you think, oh, I can't believe they did that. How would they do that? And then you find yourself in a pressure situation. You find yourself in a difficult, horrible time and you, and you make the same decision that you were berating others for making just months ago or even years ago. Maybe your failure is inaction. Maybe your failure is, is you know you could and should step in in a certain situation to do something, but you turn a blind eye out of fear or pride or just a desire to not be involved or bothered or taken up by it. Those kinds of failures, those failures of inaction or those failures of doing things that you said you would never do or harming others that are depending on you to follow through. Those kinds of failures that I'm sorry just doesn't make it right. And the ramifications you see in, in the immediate moment, yes, but sometimes long after that. We see them, those kinds of failures in our day and age on the news on a daily, right? Or on social media regularly. It could be that your greatest failures anymore, if you do it in public, 
They could be on the internet for not just you and those who depend on you to see and experience. They could be for the whole world to see before you have even realized the gravity of the situation, right? Everyone dissecting the decisions you have made. Everyone dissecting your attitude and evaluating you and judging you without a full understanding of the situation, right? I imagine that the Apostle Peter, and by the way, that's who we're talking about. We're in the third week of our series. It's called Unlikely Disciple as we walk through the life and ministry of the Apostle Peter. I imagine Peter is sitting in heaven right now understanding, I totally get that. Because all of Peter's failures, all of them, at least a whole lot of them, <laughs> some very public, some private between him and Jesus and the apostles, have been on display for the last 2,000 years. They've been written down for us to not just notice, but to study and to try to understand. There's no denying or hiding his failures from the world. And as we're getting into this series of Unlikely Disciple, today we're going to talk about one of Peter's greatest failures that we see documented in the scriptures. And that's his failure to proclaim Christ. In fact, it's Peter denying Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. We're going to spend most of our time today in Matthew chapter 26. As we begin, um, Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35, before Peter does this, Jesus actually warns him he will. As Peter is sitting at the, the table with his disciples, the last supper he will have with them, he warns them that before the night is out, this will happen. Read this with me. He says, then Jesus said to them, tonight all of you will fall away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. You know, Jesus tells them flat out, I'm going to fall. I'm going to die. And when I do, you who have promised to stay together, you have promised to proclaim me as one to the world. You are going to scatter to the four winds, probably out of fear because your situation has changed. This thing you said you would never do, probably going to do. But Peter, being Peter, as you pick up in verse 33, uh-uh, is having none of it. Peter, Peter told him, even if everyone else falls away because of you, I will never fall away. So even if these yahoos drop away, not me, uh-uh, ain't never going to happen. And so truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, tonight, like not next week, not next month, in a couple of hours, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And the disciples said the same thing. Peter, because he's Peter, boastfully says, no way. I would never do that. I would, I would die to protect you. I would die to proclaim you. There's nothing that's going to stop me from doing that. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Peter also knows what's on the line here, right? He knows he's been taught that 
denying Jesus is a problem for Jesus. And the fact is he has to proclaim him. He has to. It's an expectation of being one of his disciples, of being a follower of Christ. Earlier in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, he says it very clearly. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, tell others of me, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. It has eternal implications for Peter and the other disciples, and they know it. They know better. They know what it means to say, I will deny Jesus. They know what it means to fail in this area in particular. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows that knowing better isn't enough. And he warns him and everyone else who will listen that they will fail. And Peter will fail spectacularly and painfully. And then we see Peter's pride in his response. We see Peter's pride on full display. I'm better than that. I would never do such a thing. I'm not like the rest. It's easy for him to say when he feels like there aren't any ramifications or there aren't any things, any consequences to be paid. Because right now, in this moment, Peter sees victory. He sees his Messiah. He has seen the triumphant entry. He's seen him flip over tables. He's seen all of these things that Jesus has done in these, especially these final moments of his life where he is proclaiming his kingship to the world. He's feeling this is going to be great. There's nothing that could ever happen. I could not foresee anything happening that would cause me to do what you're saying today. It's easy for him to say, but within moments, Jesus is going to be arrested and his whole world is going to be turned upside down. And so in our next scene today, also in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to jump forward to verses 69 through 75. Jesus, in the intervening verses, has been arrested. Peter has tried to defend him. And Jesus has, no, has said, no, this is how it needs to be. And so as we pick up in verse 69, Peter is without Jesus. In fact, he's by himself, away from the other disciples because they have scattered. It says this, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl approached him and said, You, you there, with Je you were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you really are one of them, since even your accent gives it away. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter's in a tough spot. He's gone from being on top of the world to being at the bottom of the world. He's gone from where 
his hopes were resting on this Messiah to now them being dashed, where what looked like an eminent victory is now given away to defeat. And Peter's reality is something that I think we as, as Americans right now at this time in this place really struggle with. Peter's reality is that even proclaiming he knows Jesus, even letting anybody know it, let alone saying who he is and what he's about, just being affiliated with Jesus means death. Could very well mean his death. And Peter's forced to to process this boastful statement he made sooner of, I would die with you, Jesus. I I would die with you. There's no way that I would ever let something like this happen. And in the moment, fear has given way and has pushed out that pride that so boastfully caused him to to make those statements, and he has chosen a different path. Uh, Theologian Walter Leefield says it this way, Peter was now like a cornered animal. And he was. When we're cornered, when we feel like there's no way out, right? The truth is, human beings, just like animals, are really at risk of making a decision that is different than they would in an optimal setting. They would when they're divorced, divorced from the emotions or the fears or the danger of, the, of a moment. And they're able to say from the outside looking in, yes, I would do this, 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 and this. In the moment, people change. We make different calls. We react more emotionally. We make sometimes poorer choices and sometimes choices that do not demonstrate who we want to be, but very much reveal who we are when push comes to shove. And so Peter goes so far as to say yes, or say no, I don't know who this person is. When When he swears, curses and oaths, he says in verse 74, he's saying essentially this, hey, I'm telling you I don't know him. And if I don't, if I'm lying, I'm dying, right? If I'm lying, do your worst. Do your worst to me. All the while, likely hoping and praying they never figure it out. He's trying to throw them off because he's cornered and he's fighting. I think we struggle with that, as I said. I think we struggle to understand where Peter's coming from here. Because we, as Americans in particular, aren't in a place where simply knowing Jesus requires or could lead to death or imprisonment or any one of a number of things. Now, a couple of things we need to remember here. First, there are many countries in the world where that is the case and where people live out this kind of reality each and every day. We also need to remember that historically speaking, this has been the case in ebbs and flows throughout the history of Christianity for the last 2,000 years. The fact is we're able to worship Jesus now because others were willing to stand up and proclaim him even at penalty of death, even at penalty of being beaten and imprisoned. But in our world today, in, in America, in our society, that's not as likely to happen. We are likely to be looked at funny. We are likely to be, um, at times, ostracized for, 
following Jesus, for saying that we love him, that we know him, that he is the Christ. We are, our people's eyes are rolled at us and sometimes they flat get angry at us. And it's even those pressures, those social societal pressures, those pressures to succeed, those pressures to, to fit in, those pressures seem to be enough to have us in a place where we deny Jesus in more subtle ways. Even though we don't want to, or would proclaim it from the highest heights when the pressure's not on, when the pressure is added, we do. Let me give you some examples of ways we deny Jesus in more subtle ways. Um, Baptist preacher, J.A. Broadus, he's an 1800s Baptist preacher, listed six ways. He said, first, when we advocate opinions which tend to lessen the authority of his teachings, of Jesus' teachings, when we begin to allow ourselves to say things like, well, Jesus didn't really mean he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. That plurality, that idea of that there is no other way to God. I'm sorry. In many ways, I wish there was. I don't believe there is because Jesus didn't teach that. And to, to say otherwise is to say, well, there's some room to move here in what Jesus has taught us about what it means for him to be the Messiah and what it means to come to know God. The second one that he lists, that brought us lists, is treating him like just a man, a man who died on the cross. That sacrifice has a meaning, it has a message to it, but does it really have the power to transform lives? Because a mere man couldn't do that. But if we really believe that he is fully God and fully man, do we not fully believe that he has the power to change hearts, minds, and souls? Mine and everyone else's. What is, what is his place in our lives? The third one he lists is silence. Simply that, silence. Not proclaiming Jesus when we should and sitting idly by while things go down that shouldn't. The second one, or the fourth one he lists is by appearing at places and engaging in pursuits which even non-Christians recognize as unsuitable for an earnest Christian. It's one of the grand arguments of the book of Corinthians where Paul is reminding them that the way they present themselves to the world, what they do with their time outside of church, how they act, when they're gathered together, those things have an effect on how others see God. And if we choose to be somebody other than who God is calling us to be, if we choose to go out and get hammered on Saturday night or we do something horribly nasty to people outside of our gatherings together or outside of being in the presence of the people of God, then we are denying that he is our Lord and Savior. We are asserting that there is another way. And we are acting like his impact is minimal. We are denying his power and his value. Number five is by neglecting efforts to spread the saving knowledge of him at home and abroad. By not sharing the gospel, we are denying Jesus. Let that sink in. Because I, 
I really do believe that's one of our greatest challenges is us being courageous enough to say, not only should we say it, I know I'm supposed to share the gospel, but when push comes to shove, when times are challenging to actually do it, it matters. It matters. Because when we proclaim him to the world, he proclaims us to the Father. And the last one he lists is by not acting in a way that shows that he is the Lord of our lives. Titus 1.16 says it as well. It says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Like Peter, whether we want to admit it or not, our pride and our fears can and do lead to some of our greatest failures, especially our failure to proclaim Christ in our words and deeds. But that's not where Peter's journey ends, okay? Peter is given another opportunity, as are all the other disciples. If we jump out of Matthew 26, and and Jesus has, has died and been buried and been resurrected, right? He's come back from the dead and that hope has returned to the people of God. But that doesn't mean that Peter is still feeling pretty good about himself because he's gone and done something that Jesus said, do not do this because if you deny me, I will deny you before the Lord, right? And so he's now sitting with his disciples as they share a meal together, very similar to the meal that he would have shared to them as he was warning them. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, Peter and the disciples get a second chance. Here's what he says. He says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, I know that I love you. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. And a second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, truly, feed my sheep. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. Not once, not twice, but three times Jesus says to him, look, do you really love me? It says that Peter was grieved at that third time. Oh my goodness. I I can just almost hear, it doesn't say this, but I can almost hear his memories kind of him going, he said three times, I denied him three times. He's asking me again, this three is driving, right? As he's trying to reconcile his failures, his brokenness, his 
letting Jesus down and at the time that it mattered the most. And, and Jesus begins this by asking him, do you love me? And this word he uses for love is agape. Do you have this, this unconquerable, encompassing, total, full love for me? And Peter, in this first response, says a different word for love. He says, I love you like a brother. And Jesus wants him to fully understand there's more to this than just, I love you like a brother. There is, I love you with a level of devotion and commitment that cannot be sidetracked, that cannot be turned away from, and that cannot be denied by you in your words and your deeds. And he makes it clear to Peter, look, I'm reinstating you. I'm giving you another chance. And that's, I want to be clear here, that's the chance he gives absolutely every one of us. He says to you, even if you have failed, even if you have dropped the ball, even if you have messed up in such a way that I'm sorry isn't going to cut it, there is a way back to me. I love you, Jesus says. Now, do you love me? Because that agape love, that full, complete, and unabridged and undeniable love is enough to cover a multitude of sins. And it's enough to restore you into relationship with him. But he makes it also abundantly clear to Peter that this isn't, this isn't a statement that this is going to be easy. He never says this is going to be easy. The truth is Jesus has always been open and honest with Peter, with the disciples, and with us about what it means to follow him. And what it means is there is no place for pride. And that when put in the proper light, the fears that we have of the world and the fears of, of what our association with him could lead to are nothing compared to the overpowering and incredible love of God. He has promised you he will carry you not just through these moments, but into and through eternity. That he will proclaim you before the Lord God. That he will walk with you that he will care for you, that he will strengthen you, and that he is your Messiah, and that he is your Savior, that he has beat death, that he is resurrected. And no matter what you think you're feeling right now or what could go on for you, all you have to do is submit to what I'm asking you to do, and I, you will be rewarded because you are mine, and I love you. That is our call as the people of God here in this time, in this place to proclaim him, to teach of him, to set aside our pride, to set aside our fears, and to be his champions in this world, a world that so desperately needs it. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail, but it does mean that Jesus has never given up on you and that he is calling you back to him. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he grant, grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.